0: As an engineer, we're always looking quietly at what bad things can happen. The worst cannot happen. We can can withstand just about everything, but there are gonna be stressful times.
1: Welcome to Kelowna Talks, where we explore the why behind the decisions that shape your city. Together, we open the curtain and dig deep into current issues, plans, and policies that come out of City Hall. Thanks for joining us as we talk about Kelowna and the topics that matter to you. Hi everyone, I'm Bob Evans, Partnership Director at the City of Kelowna and host of our Kelowna Talks podcast. I acknowledge that our community is located on the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Silks Okanagan people. Well, today we're talking about freshet, that's the fancy name for the spring snowmelt that usually occurs between April to July in British Columbia. It's not just about snow though. There's several variables that determine whether that snowmelt turns into flooding downstream and how much snow is in the mountains, temperatures, rainfall, on and on. Some folks may remember back in uh, May 2017, we saw significant flooding in Kelowna. The highest inflow ever recorded to Okanagan Lake. Mill Creek spilled its banks. Many homes and businesses were flooded. It was crazy, perfect storm, so to speak. Since then the city has done a lot to prevent that sort of devastating flooding from happening again, and we're going to find out a little bit about that today. Welcome Rod McLean, our utility planning manager to our chat today. Good afternoon. Well. Rod, we'd like to always start these off with just getting to know who you are a little bit and uh, bringing a, a more of a, a personality, not that we need to in, in your case, but uh, to the listeners, to let them know who you are. And when you're not working utilities, uh, what do you like to do for fun?
0: Well, Bob, I've been living in Kelowna for about 17 years now. And I started with the city about four years ago. And right after this Freshet business happened in uh, in 2017. Basically, I've been an engineer for most of my working life, uh, whether in design or in project management, and always dealing with something water-related, started off in agriculture. Now more into water supply and uh, municipal municipal works. What comes with that is a lot of camping, a lot of fishing. Absolutely okay, there's the love fun stuff. Fishing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Good. Absolutely love love fishing. I we go and as a family we go and, and look for as many opportunities like that as we can. And with that, of course, comes the left turn to go see a dam or go see some museum piece. So we, we enjoy the traveling part.
1: Yeah. I can relate to that. It's uh, whenever we're traveling with our kids, I'm kind of an architectural nut. So we have to see something of significance in every city it's like, oh, really? Do we have to do that? How long is this going to take? That's the way it works. So tell me a bit more about fishing. What, uh, what's what's the, the biggest fish story? How big, what variety, where?
0: The best fishing I have ever done is in uh, west of Lethbridge, actually, and uh, mostly bull trout and uh, fly fishing. So, okay, nice. so essentially, the way I like to do it is we drive up to a point. Yeah. I find a horseshoe in a creek and walk for four kilometers, take my day, and then uh, wow, and uh, finish it off and hopefully have something to eat at the end. Try
1: not to meet any bears on the way. <laughs> That's probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. Well, you're you're in the right uh, province for that then for That's your right. for your fishing habit. Good. Take us back to May 2017 and what happened. Was it literally a perfect storm? Are these things you want to remember even?
0: Well, freshets are not made from storm events. They're made from long-term water accumulation in some way. So as an engineering consultant to the city, we had been, we've been working and looking at different flood options on uh, Mill Creek. And of course, at that time, the uh, things were very dry. In 2016, and the snow accumulation during the winter of 2016 and 2017 kind of showed up where there wasn't a lot of worry. In fact, there was worry about filling the lake. And the province manipulates the lake; they can move water in and in and out, or at least control it in some way. And in this case here, they were anticipating that there was going
1: to be a drought. Wow! And what happened was was by yeah, how does that work? Like, how, what's the how can there be such a huge disconnect there?
0: Well, what happens is there's a lot of, there's a lot of measurement going on in the hills. Okanagan Lake is, is over 150 kilometers long. Actually, I might have my numbers wrong there, but it's certainly 90, it's big. 90 it's a big kilometers lake. long. Yeah. It's a couple of kilometers, three kilometers wide in some locations. And uh, it has, it has a fairly narrow watershed to it. And so whatever falls on there, basically the water is controlled in the lake and the the outlet uh, the province started controlling the outlet in, ni- in the early 1950s. And basically it's like a big bathtub and it's controlled by the top, not by the bottom. There's no there's no way to empty the lake. The only way you can do is skim skim off the top. And that's how they control floods now. And what they did was they allowed a certain amount of water to disappear, but they didn't allow enough through. And that's because they thought that they were meeting they were going to be able to meet their targets of a drought year to make sure that the lake was full enough unfortunately from about march 10th for the next 3 months it rained either a lot or a little bit every day. Mm. And what is rain down here ends up as snow up top. And so for those skiers out there, big white was. It was wonderful. Was, yeah, it I was had, there. There was yeah. a wonderful, it was a wonderful ski year and they wanted to extend the year and what have you, because it was, the the snow was just so good. But as with any snow event that comes to an end. And of course the, uh, it was a hot May and immediately that snow started to melt and came down the hill and there was no way to stop it and so that's when things started happening it continued to rain through may and you could see you could see the water starting to rise and there was nothing they could do they couldn't they couldn't open the gates up fast enough to allow water through it wasn't it wasn't made to do that and in the end the lake continued to rise
1: okay so hate to linger too long on this but it, it took weeks and months and millions of dollars to clean up. What uh, what do we learn through that event as a city that we can now take into forecasting either future initiatives or just even how we treat the waterfront? What, what kind of takeaways do we have?
0: Well, one of the big messages that needs to come out is that Kelowna is built in a floodplain. And uh, in the 2017 storm, we were unfortunate to be flooded by creeks and then also by the lake itself. The lake was a little bit more Unfortunate in that uh, maybe if we had better information earlier in the season, if we knew that it was going to rain for the extra three months that it did, that we wouldn't maybe not be in that much of trouble. So that is what we've been focusing on for the for the last four or five years now has been how do we get better information at our fingertips and better modeling and better understanding of the flooding and uh, and what happens.
1: Well, I like your comment that it's you know, we're built on a floodplain. I, I think. Many of us or probably most of us forget that or don't even think about that on a daily basis. We love how flat our city is, how easily accessible the lake is, you know, all the great attributes of being on a floodplain, but uh, it sometimes rears up its natural course, so to speak, and uh, we pay the price for it.
0: That's right. If you look through the history books, there's there's history of flooding here. There's history of flooding throughout interior BC, and we found that out in 2021.
1: Well, and look at Calgary, even, you know, like as a, as, a, as another comparable or Winnipeg, a lot, a lot of major cities across Canada have um, similar issues. So we're, we're not alone in that. That's correct. Yeah. So it's about management and uh, we try to manage it as best we can, given the fact that we're dealing with nature and who can really truly predict drought or, you know, a month of rain at the same time. So we. My understanding, my notes tell me, the city spent close to a million dollars uh, along Mill Creek after that event, after that flooding event. Can you tell me what that money did? Why do we spend that, and what uh, what do we get from it?
0: So, once a flood event starts happening, the the planning is out the door. This all becomes operational, and we we do things like uh, unplug culverts, make sh- we have uh, staff on standby. Uh, we have a number of bridges and floodplains that require close monitoring. We look at uh, things like tiger dams or basically temporary diking systems along to try and keep uh, water contained within the creeks when, where possible. Uh, We also have to do quick fixes whenever something does fail or something erodes and breaks like a bridge or or water course. We're also looking at the outlets of the creek and we're also trying to, where possible, um, looking at the residential areas that might be getting hit as well. And doing some temporary works in there, so it's not hard to spend a million dollars. Right, and, a million dollars. And it's isn't not going hard to spend ten million dollars right. if you're
1: not careful. Right. Okay. And one of those little things we, the sausage, orange sausage things we saw along the beaches, that's uh, part of that mitigation as well.
0: Yeah, those are those are part of uh, booms basically, and that's mm-hmm. to manage debris. So floating debris that's going along the lake, it can also be used to keep people out. They're similar to the tiger dams that they have along the edges. It's also to keep people out and just manage debris and make sure that uh, things are contained as much as possible.
1: Also, what are some other things that maybe the average person, the average citizen doesn't know, but my understanding is that you use sensors in the creeks to monitor either flow or or height or volume or whatever the metrics are. So, for the last 30 to 40 years there have been what they call
0: manual flow measurement and the the uh, Feds have done some measurements along a couple of the creeks, but in 2017, we, we stepped it up and we started monitoring. We engaged the Okanagan Nation Alliance and a couple of other consultants to uh, improve our hydrometric network and uh, do better flow monitoring. So now we have flow monitoring year-round, and we also have better information and better access to, uh, to the past information where we can kind of compare it to previous years. We're, n- right. we're, we're not trying to model a future. We're trying to compare it. Okay, what does this event look
1: like? to uh, something that happened in the past. Okay. As you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, um, how does it impact your hobby, fishing? So uh, this is just maybe a little bit off script from your professional, you know, uh, knowledge perspective. But uh, again, we, we look at biosystems and the health of the lake from a water quality and an environmental perspective, um, how does it impact the Kokanee and the spawning and creeks and so on? Is it, is it, you know, is it factored into these natural cycles and this just what happens, but it still maintains a healthy environment? Water is
0: water, whether it's stormwater, wastewater, drinking water, irrigation water, you name it, groundwater, it's, it's all water essentially. As utility planning manager for the city, we look at water in terms not only of supply, but of water quality. Mm. One of the biggest issues with flooding, of course, and stormwater and drainage is water quality and, uh, and our impact that the city puts on Okanagan Lake. I always remember, and I always remind people that Okanagan Lake is the source of our drinking water. So whatever we put in has the ability to come back. And so right now we rely very heavily on the size of the lake and uh, the water quality is so high in the lake right now at depth that our drinking water is good, but we have to monitor that. Right. Right. And we've got things like stormwater. We do, we do put our uh, wastewater effluent. We treat it to the highest degree possible. We actually discharge that back into Okanagan Lake. And then of course we have the stormwater and drainage events that happen around we have salt on roads that right. goes back right. in. All of these are all factors that go into, and they all end up in the creek and then eventually end up in the lake. So we have to keep an eye on all of these factors.
1: Okay, that's good to know. So you're you're monitoring all of this and it's a complete healthy ecosystem is our goal. Correct. Well, and that's what we have so far. What can the average Joe, the average citizen do to protect themselves during, uh, during Fresh It? Is it a hope and a prayer or <laughs> do we, are there things we can do here?
0: Well, I think what we do is we pay attention to the messages that are coming out and we, we pay attention to the information that we have. I'm an average Joe too, just as much as you are, as much as anybody else who looks at the news and looks at the data. But really, if you're in a floodplain, that's the first problem is, is that right. you got to protect your house. You got to okay. protect your property in, in whatever way you can, but you're not always going to be flooded every year. Whenever we're talking about floodplain, we do have risk mapping out there which kind of identifies what kind of event can impact you and we do have some of that mapping, and we're getting a lot better with some of the modeling so these are the this is the kind of information that everybody has in terms of around your property itself. Yeah. It becomes a little bit more operational. The city has sandbags they have uh booms around they have they have different tools at their disposal. But basically, we're always targeting something that's greater than a a 50-year event or
1: something where we really get concerned. Right. Okay. So, you mentioned sandbags, booms, and so on. It, mm-hmm. If something did happen, let's hope it doesn't in the next little while, uh, is there a resource page on the city website? Like, Where do people go to find out about this? Yes, we have. We have the yeah.
0: Emergency Operations Center kicks in okay. at this stage here. And this is a group with the regional district, the city, and other right. and uh, provincial employees. And uh, there becomes a, the communication level quadruples right. over time. All of a sudden, you start hearing things on, on where to go on the news and such. The city does have its own emergency webpage and uh, has a lot of directions and a lot of uh, frequently asked questions and, and responses to questions
1: like this. Okay, good. Well, so keep your eyes open, yours ears open. Um, we talk quite a bit on this podcast about, about the city budget and and money and and impact on budgets. So it's hard to say what our citizens really think about the impacts of these major climate events on our on our city budget. We've got we've had fires, we've had storms, we've had flooding, we've had drought. Um have we made strides in climate change as a city, as a as a province, or are we gonna keep having budgetary challenges are we how are we dealing with that i know it's a big huge question there's a couple
0: of questions in there and a couple of ways of going the budget side i'll leave alone at the moment okay essentially it's it's what capacity do we have to manage water in the city and we use we use things like pipes and sewers and catch basins that's the drainage component we call that the minor system right and minor system flows and then we have the the natural systems we have the creeks uh we have creeks and lakes and uh and larger creeks let's mm-hmm. let's say and these are the conveyances into the lake which then take uh, flows down to down to the ocean or wherever it, wherever it's going to go and and it's in these natural areas where you get habitat right and frankly over the last 30 to 50 years we really haven't paid enough attention to our natural systems and we've allowed the city to develop closer and closer and closer to the creek and this riparian area coupled with the width and the channels and allowing things to grow and such has caused some concern um, to be able to pass flood flows.
1: Okay, tell us what riparian area is. I know what it is, but a lot of listeners probably don't know. A
0: riparian area is essentially the green around the creek. So a a creek itself will consider of the channel. You always Mm -hmm. see the channel, but the riparian area is actually the, the area that floods naturally and it might flood on a on a weekly basis or, or not. But it's also habitat for, for where fish reside. Fish don't just live in the channel. They actually try and they, uh, end up in, in the grass and in the, as protection basically and under trees. And so this is all part of the natural ecosystem of the of the lake if that gets under pressure then the more water that goes into it you start seeing changes in it and it mm-hmm. might be things like uh, more sediment right and so all all it takes is if you have added sediment in a system, you have a little bit of water. It breaks it free. It, it looks like erosion, but really what it is 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 sediment and, and uh, poor water quality going down the stream. So and now
1: we are impacting the fish,
0: and then we are
1: impacting yeah, fish exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and we see that in the numbers of the the numbers of fish in the in the creeks. Okay, we have work to do, right? To catch right, there's to impact.
1: Yeah, and the other thing I I think about these repairing areas is just the um, ability to have larger swaths of green open space for absorption. So again, we're not just channeling everything; we're actually having absorption capability in the soil to go into the water tables. That that's right, correct? And that's,
0: and that's the ability. That's our ability to make the water as clean as possible going into our to right. our streams. Right. But back to Back to climate change. So, climate change is really that piece in between. Most of the money and most of the budget that we spend is between the systems. Right. We don't, we're don't. we not spending money on the creeks. We're not spending money on the pipes and the sewers and stuff. But it's it's how the water gets from one point to the other. And climate change, we're seeing higher flows. So, all of our sewers may be undersized one day, but it doesn't really matter. They'll overtop. It's right. a question of where it goes after that has to go somewhere. It has to go somewhere. And a lot of what we call our major systems are things like roads.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We, we design overland flow routes. We'll get this problem when with housing and development up in the hills. That water has to go somewhere. Or in channels or uh, some of the works that we have that, that lead into the lake. Climate change is impacting us there. And then, of course, if we infringe too much on the creek and the natural systems, then climate change can hit us there as well.
1: Okay, Rod. As a follow-up to uh, to climate change and what we can do, I you know I, I live here uh, and uh, I'm in the city, and I know there's been quite a bit of work done on Mill Creek. So, can you help our listeners understand what historically the city has been doing at Mill Creek and how that has impacted this uh, the situation we're referring to?
0: Yeah. So, Mill Creek is is a key creek that runs through the old downtown historical area of of uh, Kelowna. Lots of pictures of it over the last hundred and 20 years or so mm-hmm. of all the different impacts. So Mill Creek has always been an issue. The development that's occurred around it over the years has basically tightened it so that it's not easy for water to overflow its banks. There's also been roads driven down the center of it, buildings built inside it.
1: We haven't been kind historically. We haven't to Mill been Creek.
0: Co- we haven't been really kind to it. And there's also a rail trail that goes right down right. pretty much down the center of it. And so We've been looking at different ways, especially with climate change, upon us. Uh, there are diversion structures and infrastructures that was installed by others in the past and as recently as 40 years ago. and what we've what we need to do is we need to look at different options to kind of prevent some of the uh, flood spikes that do occur in the city because there is a diversion that was built, uh 40 years ago that uh, diverted some water over to mission creek and everybody assumes that that is what protects the downtown well there's a lot of different factors that go in so we uh went after a federal grant back in 2017 and uh, were successful in 2019 by the end of it to uh do some major works to improve our flood
1: protection abilities good well Tell me a little bit more, but just a couple sentences on what was the value of that and what did that money buy us? Right, so we got
0: a $22 million grant which buys us $55 million worth of value.
1: Yeah, that's nice. There was a matching grant kind of thing.
0: Matching grant. Yep. And essentially what we're doing now is we're looking at four sectors to reduce the impacts of any creek flood that happens. So we've established what we think is the new Mm 200-year level, which is kind of the official level that everybody likes to know about. But essentially we've thrown a lot of really bad scenarios into our modeling and into our design. And we've identified areas downtown where we're going to do some improvements and we're going to do it in public places for this okay. time we are looking for example at parkinson to do some improvements through there uh the big project which is going on right now is changes to the diversion basically we're in, we're doubling the capacity of everything there okay and slowing the water down as with floods going through it right now it's it's a very unsafe environment for our staff right and then after that, we are looking at some major diversion work along uh, Brant's Creek as well. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of different elements that feed into climate change. And uh, you're confident that we're, in your particular area of responsibility, that we're doing the right things.
0: Well, we're starting to do the proper things. Okay. We, need, we need to look at the risk. We need to look at this more as a risk-based approach. Uh, infrastructure is at risk all the time. So what we're doing now is we're taking a look at things that might be impacted, things that we care about more. Or things that have more value or more importance to city infrastructure, we're definitely looking and trying
1: to prioritize that as best we can. Well, it's about, because we don't have unlimited funds as a city. And that's the challenge. So we have to figure out where we're going to direct those funds to have the most impact. That's absolutely the challenge.
0: And so we watch what's happening outside of our community, and we see what impacts they've had, and we try to learn
1: from those occurrences, let's say. Okay, that's good to know. Well, we're getting close to the end of our time, Rod. I I like asking this question as well. Um, You're standing on top of Knox Mountain. You're looking around. It's spring. Let's see. It's now. It's spring. And uh, you pull out your crystal ball, the Rod crystal ball. What are we looking at for spring 2022 freshet? Are we in good shape? What do we have to, uh, from an expectation standpoint, in the next month or two? Just the way that... You can refuse to answer that question, but...
0: no. <laughs> no, I always I I never refuse a good discussion. <laughs> okay, good. As an engineer, we're always looking quietly at what can really what bad things can happen. As a as a member of the community, there's always positives. The worst cannot happen. We can we can withstand just about everything, but there are going to be stressful times. This year, uh we've Taking a look, we're actually very similar, believe it or not, to 2017 right now in uh, where the snowfall is and where the rainfall is. We always expect, we know from, from the history that our Marches and Aprils are typically wet. The challenge is now is making sure that we know that it hasn't rained that much. Mm-hmm. We know that the snow quantities have not risen that much. So we're cautiously
1: optimistic that we're in an average year. Well, that's good. It was pouring pretty hard last night at my house. You know
0: what? Those rains happen and we want that rain too. Absolutely. Last 2021 was an extremely
1: dry year. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think we can all attest to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today. It uh, gives me solace that we have professional engineers like yourself and and the rest of your team looking at these key aspects of our city to ensure that we're all making the best um, uh, strategies and efforts towards uh, balancing out this this fragile environment uh, that we call water. So thank you for your time today, Rod, and uh, look forward to many stable years ahead of us. We look forward to it as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kelowna Talks. For more conversations about topics that matter in your community, subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you liked what you heard, give us a five-star rating and review, and share Kelowna Talks with your friends and neighbours. For more information about this podcast and other big community conversations, visit Kelowna.ca slash community stories.